Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, April 9th, 2023, Resurrection Sunday. Tom Job talking about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter morning. Hey everyone. So, um, so um, oh, oh, I wanted to tell you this. Uh, this was, gosh, it was like, I think 2014 when I was just going to have some great days, but right, it was the greatest day, but instead I had the worst day of 2014, which it wasn't very bad, but 2014 was a pretty good year for me. But they, but, um, so Bill Reeser asked me to go to Branson, Missouri to do, to, it was, it was for a young life retreat. And I was really pumped about it because I've never been to Branson, Missouri and I didn't, and it wound up being cooler than I thought it was because, um, whenever I go to a new city, like if I'm going to go jogging, I always wondered like, how am I not going to get lost? Because this was like before your phone would tell you how to go everywhere. And, um, but Branson, so I went out of the hotel, took a left, went two miles to the life-size brontosaurus. And then you turn, I turned right, and I went to King Kong, and then I turned right, and there was an 80-foot chicken, and I got back. You, I don't think you can get lost in Branson, Missouri. And another thing that's really cool about Branson, Missouri, is Branson, Missouri has, there's a lot of old classic country stars that have their own personal country music theaters that I thought were dead. And they're not, like old country stars apparently never die, they go to Branson, Missouri. So I was like, I thought you were dead, but they weren't dead, but so, um, so, but, so it was gonna be really awesome. So I had a flight at, at 7.40 in the morning from McGee Tyson, and I was gonna, we had to go to Chicago, and then I was gonna go get into Branson at um, 12.20 to Springfield, and then we were gonna go to Branson. So, but there was a big snowstorm in Chicago, so our flight from Knoxville was two hours delayed. So then, when I got on the plane, there was a woman sitting beside me, and she reminded me of Professor Trulone, and she was very upset, and she said, United is the worst, they always mess up everything, ne they never get anything right, and I was like, and I'm never flying them again. And I said, well, where? She said, I'm never gonna get where I'm going. And I said, well, where are you going? And she said, to Toronto. And I said, why are you going to Toronto? It's for a symposium. And I said, about what? And she said, it's a symposium on positive mental intentionality. <laughs> and I said, well, what is positive mental intentionality? And she said, it's using the powers of your mind to make things go the way you want them to go. And I said, well, how's that working there today? She said, she said, well, today not so good, but would you like more information about it? And I said, no, I really, I really uh, believe in Jesus. And, and in the book that we like, it says that he kind of makes everything work out for the good anyway. So I'm just going to stick with him. But then, so anyway, so then we floated at two hours later, we flew to Chicago and we just waited on the runway for like an hour and a half. And so we missed our connecting flight. And so then we got off and then they put us on a, like a 2.30 flight. And so on this 2.30 flight, so it was like, we got on the plane and we, you know, had to check all of our junk. And then we got on the plane and then we sat for two hours and then they they said, this plane has mechanical problems, so we're not going to be able to use it. So you're going to have to get off, uncheck all your stuff, recheck it. And I'm glad I just had one bag because I had just gotten back from Italy. And my when I went to Italy, my stuff had gone to Belgium. And I had to wear somebody else's clothes for three days that I borrowed. Have you ever worn clothes that you borrowed from people that you don't know? It's like borrowing their mind. It's like, it's the weird, it's the weird. I had to preach in a shirt, had big red and white stripes. It was from an American guy that I, red and white stripes. 
And I was looking for like the Baskin Robbins sign on it, but there wasn't one, but it's just so weird. So anyway, we, so we're sitting on this, so they said, okay, then we get on another plane, we sit for two hours, it doesn't do anything. And they said, this plane also has a mechanical problem, so we're not gonna be able to use it. So then we get in this thing, you know, they, now you have to get in line to get a thing for a Hotel Express that you, they were gonna get on a bus and it was, look for the bus that says Hotel Express and then they'll take you to the Hotel Express. And it's, so it was one o'clock in the morning and I was standing outside on the sidewalk waiting for a bus I didn't know and it was one degrees and I realized I've never been in a moment where the time and the temperature were exactly the same. It was so, it was so terrible. And that was like the worst day of 2014. And then the next day at 12.20, I was in Springfield and we had a great time. So, but that was the worst day. It, it was the worst day of 2012, 2014. But it was a pretty good year for me. But anyway, so Thomas, so like the first Easter Sunday, that should have been like the greatest day ever. And for, and for Thomas, it was the worst day ever. And it should have been the greatest day ever, and it was the worst day ever. But, and he's a guy that's kind of famous for making one mistake, which is not really fair, but because he was really an awesome person. Thomas was a person who had made a decision. He was convinced in his heart that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the king, the king of the world, the promised king who had come. And he had decided to follow him, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy just to follow Jesus like in the in the three years that we read about in the in the four gospels about the time after Jesus was baptized until he went into heaven he walked 3,125 miles so it's just not far it wasn't easy to follow him you know and they wound up sleeping in fields and sleeping on rocks and waking up wet in the morning and he understood so he had made tough decisions, and he was convinced. And, and there was a place where in chapter eight of the Gospel of John that there were some people who got rocks, and they were so mad at Jesus that they were gonna throw rocks at him. If you're following someone closely, and, Jesus, and people start throwing rocks at him, you could get clung to yourself. But be, be, before, so there was a certain point where Jesus told his guys, because some, a friend of his had died, let's go, to, let's go to Lazarus. And Thomas said, let's go with him so that we might die with him. Like Peter said, I will give my life for you. Thomas said it first. Um, so before this, Jesus had told them, if anybody wants to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And Thomas was like, I'm not really sure what that means, but I think it means this is gonna cost me and I'm fine with that. And then he found out what it meant. Another thing that Jesus had begun to tell them at that time was for the very first time that he was gonna to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be mistreated and he was gonna be spit on and slapped and he was going to be killed and that he was going to rise on the third day. And Mark said they didn't know what he meant by all that and they were afraid to ask him about it. And I think that Thomas probably thought, I think, this means this is gonna cost him. 
just like it's going to cost me. I'm not sure what he means by being killed until it happened, until it happened, until they did go to Jerusalem and Jesus was arrested and he was spit on and he was slapped and he was punched and he was tortured. And then he was stripped and he was nailed. His hands were nailed to a beam that was nailed to a post that his feet were nailed to. That when he talked about going to Jerusalem, this is what he meant. And then, then they, they gradually understood. Not only is this what he meant, this is what he meant to do. That this is why Jesus had come to our world. That almighty God had become a human being. For this, for this moment, for an incomprehensible compression of eternity into three hours of global darkness where he would assume and absorb all of the penalty and all of the punishment for all of the horrible things that we have done and said and thought everybody or ever will do or think or say. And he paid for all of it. And he was buried and on what he called the third day, the next day and then the next day, he rose from the dead. And they had asked themselves, I don't really know what he means when he talks about rising from the dead. He means doing it. And he did do it. And so, and so the New Testament says that because Jesus rose from the dead and because he ascended into heaven and because he rules from there and because he's alive today, you have the possibility of being happier than you have ever been in your entire life and potentially a happier person than anybody you know the happiest person in the world. You have the possibility of being the happiest person in the world because what the New Testament says, the rest of the New Testament, about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's alive today, one of the things that it means is that because of that, Paul says in a letter that he wrote to a, a, the big Christian community that lived in Rome, because Jesus rose from the dead, what that means is the fact that Jesus like paid for all of our penalty and paid for all of our sin and paid for all our guilt, it worked. He did it. Like if you trust in him, you're completely forgiven of everything you've ever done do or will do for the rest of your life in an instant. It's even more than that. There's a word that, the, that Paul, who was, he was like a big missionary and everything, but one of the words he used is when you believe in Jesus, you're justified. That means like in the sight of God, you're holy. What it means is that in, in, the, in the way that all of our guilt when Jesus was dying for us in that horrible way, all of our guilt was mysteriously transferred to him, even though he had never done anything wrong. And he paid for all of it so that when you believe in him, like you say, I need the gift that you're offering me, 
all of his righteousness is mysteriously transferred to you, even though we've never 100% done anything right and we pay for none of it. And so, you know, it's like, so like you're completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. And what that means, like the fact that Jesus has risen, it means that if you trust in him, you're forgiven. What that means is you never need to be afraid again as long as you live. Because there's a, there's a place in the book of, uh, it, there's a letter. John, who wrote the Gospel of John that we just read out, read out of, he wrote some letters to at the, that are at the end of the New Testament. And one of the things that he says in his first letter is he says, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with, in other words, he said, the reason people are fearful, the reason people are, have anxieties, the reason people are anxious, he said, fear has to do with punishment. When people are anxious and they have a lot of anxieties, they might not understand this. And this is a deep, I think, supernaturally inspired psychological insight that was given to John. But the reason that people have anxieties is because somewhere in their heart, they feel like something bad ought to happen to me. I deserve bad stuff to happen to me. I don't really know when and I don't really know why, but I just have been a mess. I deserve to get in trouble. Something bad is going to happen because I deserve it. And when you believe in Jesus, you can know that isn't true. Because I believe in Jesus, I'm not going to get in trouble all the time. I'm not in trouble all the time. I remember a young woman, this was years ago, I had never met her. Um, but it was a young woman that somebody told me that she had had a diagnosis of cancer and that she was going to have a, a mastectomy the next day and would I call her. So I called this young woman and, she, and, um, and I said, so what's on your heart right now? As you go into this operation, she said, all I can think of is all the bad things I've done my whole life. And I said, so if I say to you, have you ever believed in Jesus as like your savior? Do you know what I mean by that? And she said, yeah, yeah, I did that a year ago. I said, okay, so I don't know why this is happening to you, but what I can tell you is you are not being punished for anything. And she said, I'm not. And I said, no, you're not. And she said, how do you know that? I said, because it says it. Like, so, so she had a Bible, I had a Bible. So I said, if you can find the, one, the letter that says Romans on the top, and we looked at chapter five, verse one, it says being justified by faith. We have peace with God. In chapter eight, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we looked at John chapter five, verse 24, that says, he who hears my words, believe in him who sent me, has everlasting life, will not come into judgment, but has already passed from death into life. I said, you're gonna need all the energy you have to face what you're gonna have to face. And you don't need to waste an ounce of it worrying about whether or not you're being punished because you're not. And she said, this is so awesome. She said, you didn't know so much. I was like, she always said, and I said, but I said, no, this is just, it's just the promise that we have. I don't have to be afraid. And you know what, another thing, that fact that one of, the, one of the reasons I could be the happiest person in the world is not only am I forgiven and I don't have to be afraid, but I know I'm loved. Because like, like, the re, like there's a ton of places in the New Testament that it says the reason Jesus did that was because he loved you. Paul said, to the one who loved me and he gave himself for me. It was for me, it was for the world, but it was like completely and totally for me. Jesus did that because he loved me. 
and he rose from the dead and he's walking around and he still does like he still he still loves you like he whoever who else loved you enough to die for you and is walking around to tell you about it like he, he just that he still loves you you know there's a the you know the song Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so if you look in old hymnals particularly old Baptist hymnals the title of that hymn is China because that was the favorite hymn in the 1920s and 30s and 40s of Christians in China. And when, and so, and when the communists took over and so many Christians were imprisoned and so many Christians died, and people in the Western world were afraid that the Christian community in China was going to be extinguished, and they began to get messages, encrypted messages, enigmatic messages in the 70s coming out of China that said the this I knows are well. And that's what they called themselves. They called themselves the this I knows. Jesus loves me. This I know. There was a woman who, uh, this was about eight or nine, eight years ago, and I was having a tough time. And I found this woman who, um, she had been a professor at the University of Houston. Her name is Brene Brown. She's really pretty famous now. But she had done 11 years of research on the concept of shame. She said the difference between guilt and shame is guilt says I've done something bad. Shame says I am something bad. She, she said shame is the concept of Scarcity, I'm never gonna be good enough, I'm never gonna be smart enough, I'm never gonna be rich enough, I'm never gonna be healthy enough, I'm never gonna be anything enough. I'm not, shamed is a, a person who doesn't, a person who doesn't feel like they're worthy of love and belonging. Shame is a person, people grow up with a message, I'm unacceptable, I'm unwantable, I'm unlovable. So she gave a, she gave a talk about this um, for a TED talk, and a guy told her, you have to be ready for 5,000 people to listen to this, and it made her super nervous, the idea of 5,000 people watching her on YouTube. And it wasn't long before 11 million people had watched it because she hit something. She said that shame is the master emotion of American society. And one thing that I, that, and at that time, there was something that clicked in my mind that Jesus, not only when he died and rose again, he took away my guilt and he took away my shame because he wanted me. Like the reason he died on the cross was to pay for the sins of the world, but it was because he wanted you. And so if you've always felt like you're unwanted, that nobody wants you, he wants you, he wanted you. That's why he did it. You're officially wantable. If, if nobody's ever accepted you, he accepts you because he paid for you, so you're officially acceptable. If nobody's ever loved you, he did it because he loved you and he loves you and he rose again and he loves you, you're officially lovable. If I could know, so if I could know that, that I'm forgiven and I don't have to be afraid, I'm loved and I don't have to be ashamed. And not only that, that Jesus rules from heaven. He rules over everything. He rules over my life. There's a book in the New Testament that says he's like your heavenly helper and your heavenly friend and you can call on him and he will help you. Not only am I forgiven, not only am I loved, I'm helped. And I, not only do I not have, if I could feel, not only do I not have to feel afraid, not only do I not have to feel ashamed, I never have to feel alone. 
in that conversation that I had with that young woman, she said, Tom, okay, I understand what you're saying, but the thing that when it gets bad, when I'm having to take treatments and the, the road gets really rough for me, I'm afraid that I'm going to let go of him. And I said, June, can we look over at, June, at, at, at John chapter 10? And it says in verse 18, it said, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. You're not holding on to him. He's holding on to you. And his hand is way bigger than yours. And so I just feel like if I could believe those things, that Jesus is risen from the dead because of that, I am forgiven and loved and helped. And I never have to feel afraid. I never have to feel ashamed. I never have to feel alone. If I really believed that, I would be like the happiest person in all the world. So what happened was, I don't know where Thomas was. I don't know what he was doing. But so Jesus, all of a sudden he goes, and so, and I think it was John because he's the one that told this story. And, he, and I think that he was, he said, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. So Jesus is alive. What do you mean he's alive? He's not dead. What do you mean he's not dead? Well, I'm, what I mean, he was dead, but now he's not dead. He's not dead. He is alive. He's totally alive. Jesus is totally risen from the dead and he's alive. And I think that Thomas said, how do you know that? And John would have said, I've got three reasons for knowing that. One is evidence. So what happened was some women went, you know, to his tomb where they had, where we, you know, where he was buried and because they didn't have enough time to show the proper respect and they were going to prepare his body, the stone was, the stone was moved away. So then one of them came back and said, they've taken away Jesus. So Peter and I went this morning early. We went this morning early and the stone, it was like they said, the stone was rolled away. But then, we, so we went in and I saw something. And so this past week, I've been listening to this audible production of, of a play that was written by a woman named Dorothy Sayers. And Dorothy Sayers was a British uh, novelist, intellect, and a lover of Jesus. And she wrote a, a, a series of plays called a Man Born, The Man Born to be King about Jesus. And they used to do BBC productions of them. And C.S. Lewis used to listen to it at, at, during Lent. But there's a, the place where Peter and John go into the tomb and they look at Jesus's grave clothes that were kind of like mummy clothes and they were laying there and Peter said, who steals a body and leaves the grave clothes and they're just kind of all knickknack right there laying in a row. And John said to Peter, he said, John said, Peter, the reason that they're laying there, the clothes from his breast to his feet, and then the clothes around the head. The reason they're laying there like that is they were never unwound. When Jesus rose, he rose right through them. He's alive. And John said to Thomas, I saw it. I saw the evidence. And not only that, it says in the Gospel of John that some scriptures came to me that I hadn't thought of. So there are some scriptures that prophesied that this would happen. There's one, there's a, there's a scripture. So there's, script, there's 
things in the Old Testament that were written like centuries before Jesus was even born that talked about him and where he would be born and all the different things. But it would talk about how he would suffer. There's one in Isaiah chapter 53 where it says, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. This was seven centuries before Jesus was born. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was assigned. This is what happened to crucified people that hadn't even been invented yet. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. They would take him down and throw him on the dump. But he was with a rich man in his death. That's exactly what happened. Like, that's why we're standing in this tomb. Joseph, it was Joseph of Arimathea, so he got, he's so loaded, and he bought this tomb, and that's why we were here, and it was told, foretold that it would be like this. So there's evidence, there is scripture, and there are witnesses. So some other of the women came, and they said, we've seen him, he's alive from the dead. And I could see it on their faces, I could see it on their faces that they were telling me the truth. And then Cleopas and Mary, you know them, that old couple, and they were on their way to Rome, uh, to Emmaus, they came back and they said, he's alive, we've seen him. You could see it on their face. And Thomas, you could see it on my face. I have seen him. Before I, before I saw him, Tommy, my face looked like yours looks right now, but he said, you could see it on my face. And so you have evidence, you have scripture, and you have witnesses. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it. You know, one thing I realized is that we have the exact same reasons for believing that Jesus is risen from the dead and alive today that Thomas had. We have evidence. I mean, there's just things like in the Gospel of John, for example, you couldn't explain them except John said, I was there. I saw this like those grave clothes lying there. See, there was so well, there was one thing that when Jesus died on the cross, none of Jesus's male friends, there were women brave enough to be there, but none of the men were there except for John. And he said, when Jesus was dead, they threw, pierced, they put a spear in his side and water and blood came out. And doctors have written that when people died of crucifixion, they died of hypovolemic shock and their blood would become as thick as syrup and the pericardium sac around the heart would fill with like a water. So you have two distinctly different liquids with two distinctly different viscosities. And that's exactly what would happen if the heart was pierced, that water then blood would come out. And John said, I'm so, I saw it. There, bro, that's, I saw it with my own eyes, you know, and there's a place. And so when C.S. Lewis said that thing about the grave clothes lying there, he was the leading expert in the world in Renaissance mythology. He said, I know mythology. This is not a myth. This is not the kind of detail that a person could invent. There was a place in that when Jesus was arrested in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus was arrested, they were trying to find something to accuse him of. And they said, we are. We can't get our story together. What are we going to accuse him of? And they said, he said he was going to destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it. He said that. He said that. If you look in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you'll never find that. There's no place where Jesus said it. He only said it one time. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, 
three years before this when he cleansed the temple the first time and they said, if you just, you'll destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. One person said, and it, so three years before it happened, Jesus predicted his own resurrection. Somebody said, there is no way you could ever make anything like that up. So there's evidence for it. We have tons of scripture for it. All of the things in the Old Testament that talked about where Jesus would be born, how he would grow up, where he would grow up, how he would die, and how he would rise from the dead. There's 48 major prophecies in the Old Testament. One person said, if you just took eight of those prophecies, the idea of one person fulfilling those are one in a hundred million billion. The, the possibility of getting a perfect bracket in the NCAA March Madness is one in 722 billion. It's the same possibility that if you got all the people in the world in one country, you parachuted out of an airplane eight different times, touched the first person that you saw, and by chance you touched the eight people who have walked on the moon. But the po is one in 722 billion. The possibility of one person fulfilling only eight of those prophecies is one in 100 million billion. So not only that, but there's people, you just, you see how it's changed them. This has changed them. Changed. Peter was a guy who was so afraid. And then he was out telling everybody, Jesus has risen from the dead. We've seen him. He's risen from the dead. And then they threatened him for saying it. And he said, he just kept on saying it. He's risen from the dead. We've seen him. He's risen from the dead. They put him in prison. And he just kept on saying, they said, stop saying it. And then they threatened him and then they beat him and then they imprisoned him and they said, we'll kill you. And he's like, y'all do what you got to do, but I cannot. He said, I can't stop. Not that I won't. I can't stop talking about what I've seen and known. It's like Thomas had a box in front of him that was wrapped with a bow on it. And in the box was happiness. You never have to be afraid, ashamed, or alone again. Because Jesus is alive and he forgives you and loves you and helps you. Why don't you open it, bud? And then she's, and so, it took him a week. And he had to see this the things. And Jesus said something amazing. He said, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who've never seen, but believe. And I thought, what does that really mean? Okay, so, so there are two words for bless in the New Testament. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's not that word. There's another word, and it's a word that fundamentally means happy. Happy is the person who has never seen but believed. If I believe, if I, if I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, that he forgives me, that he loves me, that he helps me, that I don't have to be afraid or ashamed or alone, I would, if I believe that, I would be like the happiest person in all the world. And one thing that I have learned in recent years is the fact, like all those other reasons, the fact that you have evidence, the fact that you have scripture, the fact that there are people whose lives have been changed, those are great reasons for convincing other people. The reason that has been the most 
convincing for me inside myself, to myself, is that it makes me so happy to believe this. It's almost like, like if I wanted to be the happiest person in the world, what would I have to believe? I would have to I would have to make up the story pretty much because I think it's the one story in all the world that makes has the potential for making people the happiest person ever. Do you want to be the happiest person in all the world? It's like, well, you don't have to make the Olympics out of this, but I know, I, but I mean, you could be. All you would have to do is believe this more than anybody in the world. Do you want to be happier? Just believe this more. If you've never received this gift, of Jesus, it's a box, and it's wrapped, and it has a bow on it, and it's full of happiness. Why don't you open it? Lord Jesus, you're alive, you're alive. It makes me happy to say it. It makes me happy to believe it. It makes me happy to know that there's coming a day when we'll all, when we'll be nothing but happy because you're gonna come to get us and we're gonna be with you forever. And I do ask you, Lord, for anybody in here who is sad because they've never really believed this and they always feel afraid and they always feel ashamed and they always feel alone. Would you tell them in their heart, open it. Open the gift. Be happy. In your precious name, what a great God you are. In your precious name. I tried everything to make my life be a
And it's a 